Welcome to Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba. The programming that you're about to see was taped earlier this year. Clearly, so much has changed since then, and unfortunately, a lot of uncertainty and fear remain. However, the issues and the topics raised in this edition of Lessons in Leadership will still matter once we get through these very challenging and difficult times. So without further ado, Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. This is Lessons in Leadership, the radio show podcast, and now on video. And I want to introduce my colleague and friend, I hope today, yeah, Mary yeah. Gamba. Today's a good day, yes. Today's a, yeah. Oh, stop. Come on. <laughs> We're we are, always friends. We are We're always friends. One of the reasons Mary Gamba, my co-host and colleague, and I are friends every day is because no matter what happens, we seem to be able to work it through uh, and talk it through, which is a leadership trait. And in that spirit, I want to introduce our friend and colleague who deals with difficult challenges every day. He is Kevin Cummings, he is the chairman of the board and the uh, CEO of Investors Bank, a little organization about how big, Kev? About $27 billion in assets. Oh, is that right? In New York and New Jersey, 147 branches. Question, your view of leadership. You and I just had a luncheon recently where we, for two hours all we did was talk leadership. How did your, how has your leadership philosophy and approach developed? Well, I tell you, it's evolved. It continues to develop. So it's not uh, developed. It continues to evolve, and hopefully it continues to improve. And I think the attributes of a good leader is you have to influence people, and most importantly, be a good listener. Why the listening piece? God gave you uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I think you have to you know, win the hearts of people before you ask for their hand. And it's the emotional connection a good leader has to make things happen. Speaking of listening, uh, we're going to listen as Mary tells folks where they can find our radio show podcast broadcast. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So stand-deliver.com is our website. So you can log on there to uh, find our other podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD, and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter at Steve Adubato. And to go back to find our previous podcasts, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, as well as on Google Play. Also check out AM970's uh, app, and you'll find our show there as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, that sign, again, I'll burn these different props. I survived another meeting that should have been an email. I know that Kevin wasn't coming <laughs> in to talk about this. But seriously, what is the philosophy or approach at, at your place, at Investors, for meetings? Is there a meeting philosophy? Well, we'd like to start them on time. And I think I might be one of the uh, worst offenders of that because of our schedules from time to time. But it's the respect that we have for other people in, that are coming to that meeting. Uh, and I think uh, we want to have the meetings be timely, but we want everyone to have a voice at that meeting. So come prepared. Well, I'm going to push you a little bit. One of the areas that I do a lot of training and coaching in, and you and I have talked about this, is that I think there are too many meetings. Too many organizations have too many meetings that should be emails. That's the point of that. You send me an email. Tell me what needs to be done. Why are we sitting here for an hour with you telling me everything you're doing, I'm telling you everything I'm doing, and we could have just communicated via email. Why don't we have a meeting when we really need to go back and forth, you say? I go another step further. Instead of having an email, get off your butt, walk down two offices, <laughs> wow. and talk to the person, and get it resolved there, <laughs> How as, as opposed to copying me. How dare you say don't send an email? <laughs> right. Do we send too many? How about this? Do, as leaders, communicators, managers, do we send too many emails? There's too many emails. I'm copied on too many emails. How do you communicate to folks, I don't want to be copied on all these emails? How do you do that? I tell them. 
Actually, we were involved in a little uh, litigation, and during the uh, depositions, the, uh, the opposing attorney said to me, I don't see any emails between you and your uh, COO, Dominic Kama. And I said, of course not. His office is right next to mine. So that's so interesting. I hate to say this expression, old school, but you are old school, and which means that you see it the way I do, that certain communication needs to be, should be, and is better for leaders to communicate face-to-face. -face. For sure. Yesterday, I walked around the office, and instead of asking the CFO, let me see the quarterly financials, I went to his office and asked for him. That, that's atypical for a lot of CEOs. Well, actually, it was fun because I walked by our auditor's office, and KPMG had the door closed, and I knock on the door and said, why is this door closed? Are you guys unsociable? You know, when well, I was I there, this. we kept the door open. When I worked, when I worked at KPMG, we kept oh, the door right. open. that's right, you did have that background. Exactly. By the way, when he talks about the auditors, they're coming in to, to do After a quarter normal end. audit. Yeah. Right. Uh, how about this? Because Kevin and I also have had this ongoing discussion. They've been a big supporter of what we do in public broadcasting, and we're actually starting a series on sports and society. It's a working title. But the truth is, Kevin and I talk about sports and society a lot, sports and leadership a lot. Um, I, act, I mentioned that there are two books I have. One, Urban Meyer, Above the Line, Lessons in Leadership and Life from a Championship Season. He's had some other challenges since that book was published. And this one, Mary, set this up real quick. Our One of our favorites, Eric Legrand, uh, played at Rutgers, uh, hurt many years ago. It was, I think, 10 years yeah. ago, if you will, mm -hmm. in a game against Army at Rutgers Stadium. Believe the victorious story of Eric Legrand. We recently, we, we, did, we should rebroadcast that interview. Yeah, no, I think Eric. we definitely should rebroadcast it. And yesterday, as a matter of fact, and the reason why I know it was 10 years ago yesterday, we're filming this now in October, that he tweeted, he put out on Twitter a message that simply said, I never knew that when that happened that day, how much my life would change for the better. And who does that? Who has that positive attitude when literally at that moment in, you know, the picture that he put was him laying on the field, everything else was in black and white, his uniform was all red. He was making it clear, it he was, was paralyzed. He was paralyzed. And instead of seeing it, a lot of people, including myself, I think I would go into a room and cry and feel sorry for myself. And instead he saw it as an opportunity to be an example of inspiration and to go out there and to just say to people, hey, listen, things are gonna happen to you, but it's not what happens to you, it's how you react to it that matters. Kevin, is that really what it comes down to? I mean, we talk about Eric Legrand. I mean, to me, he's an extraordinary leader. And it's not really about just sports, because it could happen in any arena. But to what degree do you see that kind of courage and positive attitude? And it's not just that I've gotten knocked down, but I'm getting back up. How much do you see that in sports and correlated, I know it's a loaded question, to leadership? Well, I think your failures are your biggest opportunities. And your successes, when you become arrogant and you start reading the headlines they lead to your biggest failures. So it's by learning from those mistakes, learning by learning from those failures is the great growth opportunity, leadership opportunity. And if you're not pushing yourself, afraid of failing, then you're stuck and you're going nowhere. So you have to push yourself to that edge, look at it and say, you know, I got to do something here. You know, and then a, accept it and say, hey, I did my best. It didn't work out. Let's move on to the next project. By the way, if you're checking us out uh, on the audio side, uh, we're Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. This is Lessons in Leadership. We're talking to our longtime friend and colleague, uh, Kevin Cummings from Investors Bank. Let me ask you this. I, I've heard people say, my wife and I, uh, Jennifer and I have this conversation all the time. Someone will say, I have no regrets. This, I have no regrets. And I sit there and I go, really, you don't? I have a really long list myself. Now, maybe it's just me, 
But I don't get that concept. And this is a leadership issue, too. A leader who says that he or she has, quote, no regrets. I regret raising my voice in countless situations, losing my, by the way, again, read the opening chapter of Lessons in Leadership, we'll get the point. Blaming other people when I should have been focused more on solutions, being fearful and having insecurities that manifested themselves publicly and made it worse for other people, and a million other things. I regret that. Am I using the word regret in the wrong way for you? I don't think it's a bad thing to have regrets. I think everyone has regrets. Do I you have so. any? Oh, for sure. As I a mean, leader? As a business leader, you know, our journey as a company, you know, going from $5 billion to $16 billion, you know, the things we did and the investments we made during that change and, and all the things going about from- about 1000 Right. No, no. And, and looking does? at that, <laughs> looking at that, you know, I'm a lot smarter now. If I could do it over, I'd do a ton of things differently. And that's how you learn. And we're doing things now, having learned from those mistakes or misinvestments or, you know, different things that we did maybe when we, were, we could have made, instead of being $100 million profitable, we could have been 95 and made that $5 million investment, you know, might have a greater impact on our stock price today. So there are things that come through that you learn from, and then you change the direction in the future. As we listen to uh, Kevin Cummings from Investors Bank, uh, Mary and I talk about this a lot, that leaders come into their positions as CEOs, and again, you don't have to be the CEO to be the leader, from all different backgrounds. You have a finance background. So what I'm fascinated by, because I, I've often coached people who are the CFO and then potentially mm -hmm. the COO, and I often find, respectfully, Kevin, with you being the exception, at least in my view, that not a lot of folks with strong financial backgrounds have what I, Daniel Goleman calls emotional intelligence, the flexibility. I, I see you shaking your head. I'm not sure if you agree or not. How did you know what you needed to do as a really good finance person, background at KPMG before this, because that wasn't enough to be a leader, was it? The first part is just trying to be successful. You know, at KPMG, making the partnership. It was a 12-year right. track. Yeah, there wasn't really much. I wasn't reading many leadership books during you that track. Not. I wasn't. I was coaching a lot, so you get a lot of benefit there. Okay, you know, developing other people. Exactly. Okay, I'm sorry. But... You know, taking the role of being that CEO, I was a line partner and I didn't have a, a leadership position. But you're always a leader because you have your team, you have your clients, right. and you have to work through some difficult situations, the late 80s, early 90s. And then when you look, it's almost, uh, David Brooks has a great book out called The Second Mountain. The, the second? New York, New York Times. Uh, yeah, the uh, second writer. mountain. You mentioned this before. Yeah. What's the premise? And the premise is if people work the first part of their careers, come out of college, they work for that first mountain. And that's the nice house in the suburbs, the nice restaurants, everything, the vacations and all the things, the material gain. And our society has been so focused on that, probably post-50s post into the 60s in the last 50 years. On the second mountain, though, you make a commitment. And, and that commitment is either you know, to, to your family, community, uh, a cause, or basically religion of being faithful. Making a difference? Making a difference, exactly. And I think, you know, when you hit your late 40s, early 50s, like when I left KPMG, I saw an opportunity where I could be impactful. Not just be successful, but move from success and be significant. And I think there are numerous situations. Just recently, we had a situation where we had a bad loan, and we were able to work it out. The guy had a problem, you know, had a son with cancer. He subsequently passed away. And we... He called me directly, and I took an interest in that situation, and we worked it out, and now he's, he's staying in the house. The foreclosure process, process, process has ended. Kevin, say someone said, hey, wait a minute. A leader's supposed to, a leader, particularly with 
who's fiscally responsible and conservative would simply devil's advocate. Look at the bottom line and say, bad loan. You got you to collect on a loan. You got to do something. Guy defaults. Who cares what the circumstance is? That's not how you, you look know, at it. You know, whether it's HR problems or, or anything, the easy answer is no. You know, do the easy thing. No is easy. Right. How do you salvage the situation and work with that person? You know, we talked about Rutgers before. And I, before I, I got in the air, we're, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a graduate of yeah. Rutgers and my graduate and doctoral work there. And, and got my Kevin's, MBA there. He's got his connection there, mm -hmm. too. And, and it's not just Rutgers academics we're big on, but Rutgers sports. And as we do this program, it'll be after the season. They're having a terrible football season. But what does that have to do with leadership? Well, certainly is, is reacting. How you react, how do you communicate it, how do you keep the enthusiasm of, of the team and your supporters, whether it be the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the alumni and, and people like that. But more importantly, I go back even to that Mike Rice era. You know, when Mike when that, Rice, the basketball, the basketball coach, coach, throwing ball, basketballs at the players, abusing them. Go exactly. ahead. That AD, when I, from, from a distance, the uh, athletic director. Uh, Peretti, I believe his name was. Tim Pernetti, yeah. Tim Pernetti. He had a law firm come in, give him advice. He followed the law firm. He did everything by the textbook. So he, the easy thing would have been to fire him day one from his AD position. Sure. And then it goes, gets out, PR nightmare, and he winds up getting fired. So what's the lesson? You, again, lessons in leadership is about what we learn. What, what do you take from that? Well, I think you have to communicate. He didn't communicate enough up the chain. And he made the decision at his level. Uh, he did it. It was a good decision. I believe he wanted to salvage the guy. Yeah. And uh, but he didn't communicate it up the lane. And then once it got nasty up the up the chain, you know, he didn't stand up. The, his boss didn't stand up for him. But I'll often say this without being overly philosophical. I believe in a lot of large organizations, corporations, universities, other places. People stop it where they learn that. Again, I did a case study on the Penn State situation with Joe Paterno and the creepy. Coach, you know the history of went on there. And, and well, Coach Joe didn't know. Well, well, if they're, I don't know whether he knew or didn't know, but if you do organizations from a leadership and communication point of view and to cover your behind point of view, decide they're going to keep it at a certain level and not raise it to a Kevin Cummings. Well, I'll tell you, uh, John Kirkpatrick, the managing partner in KPMG in 1989, when, I, when he told me I was going to, I made the partnership, I was elected to the partnership, said, You go alone, you die alone. You go alone, you die alone. Yeah. And he said, if you do it once and you get in trouble, I'll cut off your fingers. You do it three times or two times, I'll cut off your elbow and then your whole arm. I mean, that was a lesson. And, and I think even when I come up to delicate situations, I'll either speak to a board member or, or the lead director or my former chairman, if he was still there, and just keep them informed on a need-to-know basis. I don't want you to make a decision. I'm just letting you know this is going on. So you got to manage up and you got to manage down. Again, going back to the sports thing, you play basketball. You still play basketball? Sure. <laughs> Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. I know wow. you said this yep. to me. I'm like, no, not happening. Actually, they play on Wednesday nights, too, but I had a dinner last night. Uh, you love your basketball. Yeah. Team sport. College basketball. Uh, yeah, we talk about that a lot. Uh, I'm a big Seton Hall fan. and Michigan State, the first game. I know it's going to be a big game. Big game. Again. I got a ticket for you if you want to go. No, I'm good. I, got, I, I don't want to say he's anything. He's got a... I, I, we're good. Uh, let's try <laughs> he's this. He's a little obsessed with the uh, Seton Hall. Oh, we're also partners with Seton Hall. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. You ever do anything with the business school with Mike Reuter? Oh, yeah. Mike is a great Isn't he friend a great of ours. Man? 
Mike is a great. In fact, Mary, he's got a great let, newsletter and everything. Yeah, he's fantastic. Should I disclose, I'm, yeah, I disclose I'm teaching at the leadership at the yeah, Brasino Leadership yeah. Institute, it's uh, not Leadership a Academy. It's going to be out there. It's, it's Leadership Institute, I exactly. believe it is. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching there in the spring in the of spring. 2020. That's absolutely I just correct. Signed on board I do one class a year. Good for you. I love it. See, yeah. I think I know Kevin, and we wind up having every the same time connections. it's something new. Let me let me oh, seriously ask you this: the innovation thing. We've been talking to a lot of people about this. Technology drives innovation. Great leaders see things other people don't see. How challenging has it been for you to communicate to folks around you what you believe the bank needs to do if they frankly believe the bank needs to stay where it is? If you're not changing and getting stronger, you're going backwards. So you need to be continuing your improvement process because things are changing. And if you think you can act the same, talk the same, you know, produce the same results in a world that today is changing 100 times more quickly than it was 10, 15 years ago, you're kidding yourself. Change is inevitable and innovation, you have to be at the top of your game, continue to improve your processes because the competition is unbelievable. You guys have, investors has a relationship with the devils. You have a relationship with some other sports figures. Because you and I talked about this recently. New York Giants. Talk about the Giants connection. Mm-hmm. And is there, a, is there a Jets connection? No, it's not, not presently. But in my mind, there yeah. is because you have Boomer. See, sure. see it's interesting mm-hmm. dynamic here. I'm watching a, a, a Yankee game the other day. Again, I'll date myself. They're in the middle of the playoffs. Just leave it alone. Uh, and I see a spot that's coming up for those guys. Now, Boomer, Esiason, and Phil Sims. How are they connected to investors? They're our spokespeople in, in the marketplace. What does that mean? They're out there promoting our brand. They're two great partners because for who they are. Yes, as individual uh, you know, As brands. individuals, right. So we want to, you know, my mom always said, you're known by the people you hang out with. And our partners are the Giants, the Devils, Boomer, and Phil. Fan, F-A-N, fan. And by the way, that studio, does the, does the studio have the investor's name on it too? Yeah, in the morning wow. show. But that's an investment. But even, you know, Barnabas is Our in with the devil. Well, right. So, so we're, we're involved with, with them. You know, it's, 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 it's New Jersey-based corporations trying to make the communities better. But what's interesting about that is, again, it goes that, again, this book on relationships I often talk about by John Maxwell. How much of your success as a leader comes down to I know we talk about this almost, almost every show, Mary. Spending your time building, strengthening relationships. You know, as you move on in the corporate ladder, it's more important to focus on the relationships than the technical matter. Because? Because that's where you get people to step out of their comfort zone, the trust factor builds up, and the direction of the company, they're on board, they're on the bus. So as time goes on, those discussions, you know, I had a difficult discussion yesterday with a senior executive through the budget process. You know, he got the message that he probably didn't want to hear. You know, we need another 10%. And that's those difficult discussions that you need to have, look them in the eye and say, here's where I'm coming from. Mm. This is what we need. This is the results. Here's where we've been, but here's where we want to go. But he wasn't happy. And Mary, one of the chapters in... Our book, Lessons in Leadership, is comes from the great Colin Powell, Sometimes Great Leaders. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to make me say it? Yeah, you say it. <laughs> piss people off. Yeah, sometimes great leaders piss people off. Do you have an, is it difficult for you? Again, you and I talked about being coached by certain kinds of very tough 
coaches, and we were also went to Catholic school where sometimes I think the rules were different in terms of the way you were spoken to, very aggressive, very much in your face by either the Christian brothers in my case or, or, or priests or whomever. The good um, Jesuits in Mike's case. I, I hear you. Maybe there's I, a I little bit I got a quick of a, story, right? Go ahead. Sophomore in high school, we get out of practice late downtown. Where are you at? What school? St. Peter's Prep. That's right. Downtown Jersey City. And some of the local kids, you know, used to chase us away from the bus stop. Sure. want to take our money. And so we run to exchange place, get on the bus. I go to class, you know, after Thanksgiving when I got smacked in the head, and bounced my head into the hard bus, big bruise on the middle of my forehead. I go to Father Foley. I said, Father Foley. You know, these guys, I mean, you should have someone out there watching out for us. He looks at me and says, you guys got to toughen up. It's good to take a beating once in a while. <laughs> Mary. Imagine saying that today. Mary, I, I know you think <laughs> no. I exaggerate. That That's, is, you better fend for yourself. Yeah. And, and we'll have another discussion about how we've, some of us have overcompensated with our kids and gotten the I other way. I think all of us as a community are overcompensating. I think I, I think that's one extreme, and where we are now is another, and hopefully we'll level we'll, out somewhere we'll in the middle. We'll find that balance. But, but here's, I, I was trying to get to a thing here about pissing people off. How much of your experience in sports as a player, as someone who loves sports, who's a student of it, and you gotta, you got to make some tough decisions. Coaches do. They sit people down. They do all kinds of things. How much of your ability to do what has to be done on behalf of the company, which sometimes gets people upset. I'm not going to keep saying piss people off. Uh, is easier for you because of that background? Well, it certainly makes it easier. I, I tell you, when you have personnel decisions, I used the example the other day, when you have to cut a 12-year-old, you know, whether it's a boy or a girl from the basketball team because you have only oh 15, 15 slots ah. and it's a great kid and you have to do it. But I think once the decision is made, it's done. You don't, like, keep replaying it. Did I do the right thing? Could I have done something different? And I think you, you have to have, as a leader, be decisive, make the decision, and let's move on. Even if some people go home and talk about you behind your back and say, Kevin is this, or Steve out about it. I, Mary and I have this conversation. I, I, too often I've wanted people to, quote, like me. And Mary's like, stop with them liking you. Just do what you need to do. And if they like it, like it. If they well, don't, they don't. Yeah, it's funny, though. I think it's good to have the ability to tell someone they screwed up and almost at the end of the meeting, have them thank you. Well, now, I'm sorry, I've never else, seen that. There's an art to it. You can tell people. It's, it's, it's a teaching moment. That's the way I and, see it. Right. But how you deliver it, your body language, everything else. Right. Like myself, I've worked with executives you know, within the company at KPMG and at the bank where the two of us can say the same thing. They get pissed off at, the, at someone else, and hopefully I have that likability factor where... Hey, all right, maybe I should be thinking about it. It's not just what you say, it's but how, how you say, say it. Exactly. So listen, this is why we, uh, Mary and I, I'm hoping I'm speaking for you, why we love doing lessons in leadership, because not, as, not just that we love talking about leadership and learning about it and reading about it and just making mistakes and getting better, but we get to talk to fascinating leaders like you. And, and there is not, and we've probably had 50 conversations with Kevin about leadership, and each time we learn something new. Finally, lifelong learner when it comes to uh, leadership. I don't want to be better than you, Steve, but I want to be better than I was yesterday. So you have to be continually improving. Wow. On that note, I can't think of a better segue. This is uh, Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. This has been Kevin Cummings. By the way, before I let him go, I want to make everyone know that Investor is huge on the philanthropy side. Uh, Montclair Film, if you go by Montclair Film in our hometown of Montclair, New Jersey, there's Montclair Film and the name investors is all over it, right? 
the Investors Bank Film and Studio Center. It's beautiful. Investors, it contributes to so many organizations. And also, they support what we do on public broadcasting. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. We'll be right back right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, New Jersey Resources, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Steve Adubato, this is Lessons in Leadership with my colleague, Mary Gamba. That was a great conversation we just had with uh, Kevin Cummings from Investors. Your biggest takeaway is, was? With Kevin, it's it's great. We've spoken to Kevin countless times, and with every time I learn something new, and this time, again, it goes back to the theme of innovation and change or die. And I know we keep talking about it, but it's becoming clearer than ever that you need to always learn from your mistakes and then use them to innovate and try something new. So Mary and I were on a call the other day. Very often, lessons in leadership is about stuff that happens in our lives, and we, our attitude is we think it's happening in other people's lives as well. Mary and I were having a conversation. It was She had left work. She had put in a long day. She has her kids and her family, and she's dealing with a whole range of issues in her life mm-hmm. um, that have nothing to do with work and everything to do with life. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it was 6 or 6.30, and I called you on the phone. 6.45, sitting in my driveway. <laughs> my husband and the dog looking out the window. What's going on? Are you serious? Yeah, and I'm doing like one, one minute, one minute. And I think I was complaining about something. Yes. I was. You were, yes. And, and you were trying to be patient. It, it, yeah, yeah. And it, well, the irony was it was about our beautiful studio here, yes. which Brian and his team, Brian, thank you at again so much, at East Main Media. And I think, I don't know what I was saying, but I, I was do. saying, and I'll why remind don't we, you, let's not get into the weeds. No, no, no. And I'm go not going to get into that, but it, it but all boils down to- This is a metaphor for all the other things that go around in our lives and we don't respond the right way, which is a life lesson and a leadership lesson. Yeah, I took a deep breath and finally I said the words, I am not a producer. And I paused because I needed you to hear what I was saying, which was the thing that we were arguing about involved something that I frankly had no idea what you were talking about. You were using words. You were talking about blocking and this and that. And I go, first of all, what is blocking? And I think I put some expletives in there. We're not talking about football or the NFL. Exactly. But this goes on in business every day. I said, it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. except I was saying, Mary, how are we going to block the show? How are we going to set up the show? Yeah. And I'm talking to her. Where was the leadership? Where was this? Where was that? And I paused and said, I am not a producer. And I said it like five times. And then to your credit, you realize this is an honor. This is an irrational conversation. All it had to be was, all right, yesterday we decided that we're going to do this amazing show and not literally. And, and now what I want is this. And next time, can you do it this way? And that's where you and I agree to disagree of the level of, especially at that time of day when a million, because the rest of our work beyond the television stuff and the radio stuff that we're doing a million things. And that's everybody everywhere multitasking. Exactly. And it is, I, I think that that's when you and I just hit that pause button and say, all right, recharge. What is, what do we need to get done? And now let's fix it. So it's so funny. I often use this expression when I'm coaching people about leadership and management and communication. And I'll say, look, it's not about perfection, but sometimes it's about your batting average, meaning it's so interesting. I I think that when I say my batting average, I mean anyone's, Mm -hmm. that my batting average when it comes to dealing with these things is a lot better than what it was. Oh, exponentially better. Okay. And I'll often tell my wife that and she'll say, I'm not impressed. So I didn't say how it's going at home. I'm just saying how it's going in the office. But but, but it's my batting average is better in both cases, but that's not my point. Mm -hmm. My point is this. 
when you're doing the thing that is not healthy and you're communicating in a counterproductive way and you're blaming and you're snarky and you've got a terrible attitude, it's not enough to turn around and go, you know what? I have a really good batting average and this is the exception. Yep. And why are we focusing on this? Because that level of defensiveness, I'm doing air quotes if you're listening on the radio or audio side, what is that? And I'll often do that. You and I talk about the 24-hour rule. I know I beat it like a dead horse, but that 20... And then in this case... Tell folks a 24-hour rule. Yeah, 24-hour rule. If something really egregious happens, it came from sports, right? If, oh, I wasn't sure. played enough or I, I didn't get to, you know, be up first at bat. And Wait what, 24 hours before what? Before talking to the coach. Or not. Or not. Because usually the next day, whatever it is that you were so upset about right. doesn't really bother you anymore. Is this work mm-hmm. for husbands and wives? Yes. The 24-hour rule. Absolutely. As does don't go to bed angry. And for us, it's don't end the workday or, or angry. It doesn't help. I can't go to sleep. I don't know if you lose sleep over it. I do. And I'm sure there's a lot of leaders that feel the same way. Wow. Why don't we just have Mary do the show and I'll just hang around. And when she needs me to jump in, I will. <laughs> this has been Lessons in Leadership with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. We are coming to you from East Main Media Studios in beautiful Little Falls, New Jersey. And folks, uh, you're checking us on AM 970 on the radio, on our podcast, and on the AM 970 app as well. You might be seeing us on the video side. And also, Mary, where else? On Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD, and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter at Steve Adubato. And you can subscribe to Apple Podcast and Google Play to get all of our past episodes. Lessons in Leadership. Check it out. Check it out next time. <laughs> <laughs> This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, New Jersey Resources, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825.